0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hot Dish Productions, an award-winning modern culinary production company. Learn more at hotdishproductions.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're turning an eye to food at its trickiest. From imitation olive oil to the pretensions of 3D printers.
0: We were just doing like a birthday party for one of the employees and we printed a steak just for fun.
2: You know, a grape Jolly Rancher isn't going to satisfy your craving for, for grapes. So, I mean, in a sense, it kind of multiplies the, the sensory
3: qualities that we can love in the world.
4: So basically you culture the cell... In a bioreactor, it grows. And then ultimately, at the end, you come out with a piece
2: of meat.
1: Tune in to Meat in Three, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief, with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora,
4: and me, your mom, Bobby <laughs> Conforto.
2: <laughs> you nut. Are you adorable <laughs> or what? I think the answer is absolutely. Um, Bobby, hello. It's very nice to see your smiling face this morning. Hi, saw You too. How's it going? What's new?
4: It's Friday, and it's my day to unwind a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to some nature. And I'm going to come to Brooklyn and take a walk with you by the Brooklyn Bridge Park. I'm looking forward to that.
2: So today we welcome... Um, teacher, writer, poet, Beth Robbins. What an incredible talk with Beth. Beth was very special. Cool person.
4: She's like a guide through the underworld um, with an unbelievable spirit and joy about her. Yeah, she's really
2: just a very intelligent, very well-read, mm-hmm. very heartfelt, genuine, cool, dynamic human. It's and, uh, and smart. I learned, I such learned a some delight. things.
4: About, I learned very about smart. metaphors and poetry and lots of things. She brought so much you of know, herself to her story.
2: She did. And it was interesting because I was like, while we were doing the show, and I believe I even said this, I was like, I feel like I learned so much. And then I realized I always learn so much.
4: Each it's one true. of our
2: guests has something... Mm-hmm. I always walk away from the show being like, oh, I just feel smarter having been in that person's mm-hmm. presence with their wisdom and their experience. And Beth smarter was no different. different. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Really, uh, really a wonderful person. It was a great mm-hmm. talk. And Beth is, uh, in the Berkshires where we've spent, been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in our lives together. And so that was yeah. another special connection. Made it very
4: special. And I feel, you know, thinking, I, I always think about how the shows are going to help different people that I know. And, um, I'm really, this is good timing because I'm about to start a group with, um, you know, young women that have lost their spouses and they have children. And I just mm. feel like Beth is going to be very inspirational and helpful to them.
2: Cool. that's great. That's yeah. great. Synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Um, well, guys, without further ado, we hope that you all have a wonderful weekend. You're hearing this a week later. Um, Bobby, <laughs> good luck with your drinking faster. I knew mean, we'd probably have a frat party to get to. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing you tomorrow for a walk. How fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. A stroll. It's spring
4: guys. Spring is here for all of us. No matter what state we're in.
2: Spring is, spring. Spring is here. Yep. I find spring to be difficult to be completely honest with mm-hmm. you. I find it to be there for a variety of reasons. Number one being my allergies. Number two, um, It's, you know, it's a transitional time. And as are all if you're in a place that experiences seasonal weather and seasons, you know, seasons can be really transitional. There's something about spring. I don't know. It's like I like it. And then I also feel very vulnerable in the spring. Mm -hmm. So are the little sprouts growing. Yeah, and like little They're baby animals, too. little Exactly. Tiny Everybody's baby very vulnerable. I feel it's like a, a baby very animal. Yeah. Yep. Do I look like a baby
4: animal? <laughs> <laughs> a little baby bunny. What about
2: now? <laughs> yeah, baby bunnies are... I, yeah, I feel like uh, an adorable baby animal. And I don't like it, <laughs> no, uh, but spring is, you know, it's interesting. I, I tend to really love, I mean, I love summer. I'm a summer person. I love the, like, intensity of the summer, the, like, unabashed intensity, the hot weather and the juicy fruits and vegetables and mm. zesty, spicy peppers. But, like, spring is also quite intense, but in a, in a way where it appears not to be. Um, but it is. Well, I is. think you
4: pinned it, Zara. I think there's a vulnerability in spring. Yeah. And vulnerability is both curious, amazing, and somewhat threatening. So mm. I, th- I think you made a very good metaphor when you said that. And um, just going outside and seeing everything so new, how it breaks through the earth. It's amazing how these mm. little, little shoots push through the earth. Yeah. We could barely dig the earth, yeah. and it can shoot right through. And they're all very vulnerable, because who knows what happens to them, you know, so... It's a good point. So I love you and all our guests. Oh, I I see how it is.
2: You want to get off the phone with me already. Shooing me off. (laughs) Now she's mouthing to me. She's doing cut it out. (laughs) Okay, Bobby, I love you. I'll talk to you later.
4: Bye, guys. Enjoy the show.
2: Enjoy our talk with Beth. Bye. So today we are joined by Beth Robbins. Beth is a high school English and drama teacher and also a writer and poet. And uh, Beth, we can add actress to that list of credits, correct? I saw correct. you yesterday in yes. a movie and it was great. <laughs> That's that was true. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I mean, thank you. So, I mean, I guess we could even just pop right off with that. How did you become even interested in acting? I mean, we're going to get into your story in a minute, but had acting been something you had been interested in before? Because you were so natural and so great in the film.
3: Um, I had always wanted to be um, an actress when I was growing up. I had also wanted to be a writer. Um, And that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the, I mean, two of the the huge ironies in the surprising gifts of after Steve's death are that I, I've actually done both now. Um, I didn't think I was good enough to be an actress. And so I, I took a different path and then I was invited to do this, um, short fictional film version of my life or this sort of this, a fictional version of it in the year following Steve's death. Um, I became friendly with Cynthia Wade who directed the, pl- the, um, not the play, the movie. <laughs> it might be a place. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, I, um, I, it was amazing, actually. I I don't know. I I was, I think the thing about grief is that it's for me, it's, it's always right there. And so I'm able to access it. So I was definitely acting in the movie. um, But I was also able to access what's always right there. And, um, and I loved it. I mean, I loved it. You were great. You were
2: great. Thank you. Yeah. uh, Sproutland. (laughs) Is the name of right. the short That's film. Correct. And we'll get into why and what it was about in a minute. But actually, I want to just ask a quick question, which is that mm-hmm. um, in your uh, questionnaire that you out, like you mentioned that you are originally from Long Island. We are from yes. Long Island as well. <laughs> we have three
3: islanders here. Where are you from in Long Island? Um, I grew up in Merrick. Okay, cool. Where Where are you from? Uh, North- Northport area. Oh, uh-huh.
2: Yeah. And yeah. it bounced between the two. But... Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I had this thought about Long Island. And then you went to school in the city. Did you go to college in the city? Yeah, I went to Barnard. Okay, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have this theory about places like Long Island. But Long Island could be anywhere, any suburb. But that's like somewhat adjacent to a, like a large city. Like in this case, New York City. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I don't know. It sparks like a... It's like the city is so close. You kind of see it. right? And either you're like repelled by it, or you're, like, drawn to it. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I have this just kind of theory about, right, this theory, I don't know, just about something being in that Long Island tap water, other than lead, (laughs) that actually makes (laughs) people really creative. I know so many creative, interesting people from Long Island, so I just thought it was cool Mm -hmm. to know Mm -hmm. that we shared a home, home place. Yeah. So then you went to college, and uh, you, in college, met your, who would be your be your husband, correct? Right, that's correct, yes. Yeah. And how did you guys meet? I think it's a pretty cute and interesting story, and kind of uh, informed what seems to be the rest of, you know, the the next couple decades of your relationship you guys met.
3: Yeah, I, I would say that's true. Um, I, um, I went to a lecture um, in college um, on um, Gandhi and I became very inspired by the professor. Um, his name, um, was Dennis Dalton and, uh, and, and he, and I just, I decided that I had to become a vegetarian and this was in the early eighties and it was a different world in terms of, um, ability to get food if you were eating in that kind of a way. And, um, I didn't know what to eat. And so, um, a friend of mine, Alicia, who I, um, give a shout out in the book that I wrote, um, she was very into it was new age and vegetarian lifestyle, and she said that um, this guy named Sproutman um, was giving courses in his apartment on Riverside Drive, and he was looking for someone to work for him, and this was data entry or actually it wasn't even data entry it was typing on labels. Um, so it was this was a long time ago, and, um, and I went to and I went to his house uh, his apartment rather and um, worked for him, and he basically fed me. Um, I mean, it was, um, I. we saw each other. <laughs> it sounds like this romantic thing, but we were not interested in each other because we were very different. I was yeah. very into goth, and I was with my Doc Martens in my black clothing and cut oh. shorts, and he was, like, all very pink and gauzy and crystals <laughs> and... <laughs> and sandals and his apartment was very light and joyful and um yeah. I, yeah I was more right. I loved Russian literature and coffee and wine and things <laughs> um okay, anyway he he welcomed me into his apartment and we became very 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 good friends um and he he did feed me basically he taught me and uh, he did that for the entirety of our relationship so
4: what kind of things did he feed you then? What do you remember?
3: <laughs> oh, I, uh, I remember exactly uh, what he... he So he was sprouting um, everything. And he I mean, he really was a groundbreaking person um, in his time. He was a pioneer of that movement, inspired by Victoris Kalvinskis and Ann Wigmore, wheatgrass and things. And so he had all kinds of sprouts in his apartment and he made the most ama- <laughs> amazing things, which... I still miss some of it. I mean, he he didn't make it for decades, honestly, but there was um, cashew cheese, which was really not cheese at all. It was just sprouted, I don't know, soaked cashews and and yeah. he dehydrated it or something. And But every day there were these huge salads. And so one of the benefits of my job is that <laughs> I'd be sitting and typing labels and they'd say, okay, let's have lunch. And he'd have these wooden bowls and he'd make these these beautiful sprout salads. Um mm. and then he'd make tahini dressing and Yum. it was just it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful.
2: <laughs> and also I'm struck by the uh unavoidable in my mind at least metaphor of sprouts,
3: right? Uh, yeah, of like new right. beginnings
2: and of this like yeah. also a sprout is something that we can so often just cast aside, right? Like you have mm-hmm. a lentil or a bean or a rye berry or a cashew you know things that can be sprouted and we almost never do it seems to me to be so poignant that steve was someone who took the time to find the most you could get out of out of a single
3: item and that that's actually the most healthy and rich part of it right right i mean that's the that's the moment when everything is ready to explode with it's it has the potential to explode with in a positive sense, um, with all the nutrition. So How yeah, did he, he become would, in, yeah. so interested in sprouts. Like, what would would <laughs>
2: I'm so interested to know because it's so specific and it's so awesome. But to be so interested in sprouts, that's like yeah, I, I'm curious about his kind of origin story as well.
3: He's he um he had suffered from allergies. He grew up in the Bronx and he had okay tremendous aller a uh, problem with allergies. He was an asthmatic. And he and through whatever his journey was exactly, he discovered um, raw foods and he decided to um, to do a fast. Mm. And he did. He started off by fasting and he did an extremely long fast. And he was very to use the word extreme again. He was very extreme. He did a a hundred day (sighs) fast, a juice fast. It wasn't that he was starving. Yeah. But he. He Excuse me. He was, um, he just, he did a lot of cleansing and he healed himself, basically. He took care of his allergies, he took care of his asthma, and he became a tremendous proponent of this. And he, he was, I mean, someone who would call them or would go by the name of Sproutman, he was designated that by Vegetarian Times in 79. But he he took that moniker on and made it his own. He he was a real character, um, in the best sense of the word. He was an entertainer. Um, he had been doing these sort of vaudeville kind of shows. He he piano played. He played piano, <laughs> and so he cool. he wrote he wrote songs and skits and things. And he as he started on this journey toward health, he integrated the character of Sproutman into his show. And so for a while this is before I met him he said he had both things going on and then he mm-hmm. just decided to leave the performing and become just the sprout man but it was still a for perfor- I mean it was authentic it wasn't a performance that yeah. he wasn't living the life but he he was a lecturer and taught classes and so And
4: did it become a business was it something that he also sold and Oh yeah monetarily Mhm yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. he I mean yeah in the in the city um uh, he He had the classes in his apartment. It was called the sprout house and um and then when he and i he and I met in the early eighties and then we got married in um eighty six and but in eighty five we um our building was going co-op on the upper west side, and we decided to move out of the city. We moved that's when we moved up to the Berkshires, which is where I live now. And so he made a shift. He had written a lot of books at this point or pamphlets is really what they were. And um, he just he shifted to an online business. And the business is um, called Sproutman now. now. Um, and our sons run that business. It's oh. um, it's see he sells. They sell. <laughs> He doesn't do that anymore. They sell it's sprouting seeds, sprouters, and all kind anything having to do with sprouts and healthy living, juicers oh, and whatnot. So, so yeah, awesome. it became a business, um, and it sustained us um, for um, for the years that he was alive. And then our sons took it over, and now they've sort of rebranded it and relaunched it in a slightly different way. But it's sproutman.com. and it's yeah, it's definitely there,
2: oh, and it was so cool. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Incredible. So,
2: you know, we've been talking a lot around uh, Steve in the past tense, and you mentioned right off the bat that he passed. Can you tell us um, the story about Steve's passing?
3: Yeah. Um, so In um, 2015, September 9th, he, was, um, he went to um, a business meeting in Connecticut mm-hmm. and, um, and was in a car accident on his way home. It was a head-on collision, and he died instantly. And um, so, that's what that was. Ooh. Yeah, that is so intense. You know, in reading
2: your book, which was absolutely beautiful, called "A Grief Sublime," um, just a poetic. I mean, it is your book is a mixture of poetry and and you know narrative kind of mm-hmm. nonfiction, but. Uh, In reading your book, I was really struck by, in the beginning parts of it, the shock element associated with when Mm -hmm. someone dies like that. And, you know, being like, there was a part of the book where you were like, but just this morning we were talking about, you know, so-and-so and and our son was going to school and eating breakfast. And I, it's such an interesting Mm -hmm. thing. I think a lot of people who have experienced sudden loss and uh, trauma that you're like, but your brain is catching up. You're like, but today was started like this. Like, how could this be this now? It doesn't, it mm-hmm. takes so long, which I think anyone who hasn't experienced it, it's hard for to relate to and being like, it, the quote unquote kind of surrealism to it is so true. And you capture that so beautifully in your book. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that and made it so tangible.
3: Thank you.
4: Ew. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. us more about that ex- experience of the mm-hmm. suddenness?
3: Um, it, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, I'm just trying to think of how to get into it. Mm. So the, so what happened was, um, he just didn't come home. Mm. Um, that's the simplest way to put it. Um, and so for hours I was waiting for him. I didn't know where he was and I had been, it was very not much, not his way to be out of communication. And um, so he was many, many hours late. I was alone in the house. And then a police car pulled into the driveway. And um, I wrote about this moment because it was so... um, It was really extraordinary to think about it after the fact. Um, And it reminded me of a bit that I had read from Joan Didion's book, um, Mm. A Year of Magical Thinking, where when I saw the police arrive, I knew... I, I knew he was dead. I I knew that, that he was dead. And I, and I decided that I wouldn't open the door. And so if I didn't open the door, then he would, then it wouldn't be real. I could just leave it outside. And it's such a, it's a, it's a very, very strong memory, that experience of not wanting to open the door. Um, but as soon as they told me, um, it was really, it was really became an out of body experience. And mm-hmm. I, um, I saw myself um, from outside myself and um, I saw, and I didn't know where to sit. So there's this, because this, this is right. This is just, it was ordinary life. There was no preparation, right? I was expecting him home. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they even, they asked um, who do you want to call? And of course I, I wanted to call him. Mm-hmm. He was the one I wanted to call. Mm-hmm. And um so it was just just absolute confusion. I don't I didn't scream, I didn't howl. I mean I've seen I mean may some people probably do. You see that a lot in movies. Um it was really just more of this um, Yeah, I just sort of left <laughs> my body in a way. Yeah. Which is what we
4: do in trauma. You know in trauma right. we it's too more than we can handle so we right. like it's almost like our spirit has to our psyche has to just like leave so that we can right if maybe we're processing up there i don't know but right. no way you can stay right here
3: right that's
2: well, correct you need to it's not acceptable i'm just kind yeah. of just struck by the 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 literal not wanting to open the door and then also yeah. the metaphor for that in terms of like even continuing grief right and mm-hmm. i feel like in some ways mm-hmm. the grieving process and healing process is Uh, a lifelong relationship with opening the being able to open the door absolutely I mean and I think there Mm -hmm. are so many times in which we're like we open it and then we like shut it again and we open it Mm -hmm. and sometimes it stays open forever and so you know it's but I just when you said that I was like wow this is such a kind of you know it didn't necessarily open for real forever right when you opened it that
3: that night right that's correct I mean, that's what I was alluding to earlier about the film, which was also a whole other crazy experience to be able to have to play myself, but a fictional version. Um, So it was acting, but it was accessing a real emotion. Um, And that's what I mean about it always being there. It's never... Mm -hmm. The reality of his death is always present. It's very present. I just... I find that it's five years on. I just have more of a capacity to negotiate mm-hmm. the situation. Mm. So I'm not overwhelmed by it as I was um, in the early days where it was it would, like these tidal waves. Um right. a feeling of drowning and panic attacks and all of the other things that um, I was experiencing. Also, call though, that. yeah. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. That's all right.
4: No, I was just going to say, I always call that turtle medicine. You know, that ability to go in your shell, and when you're ready to stick your head out, you do. Right. And that shell is so important. And in many ways, that's a denial of it even happening. That's, I mean, right. there was a, a movie once about a woman who suddenly lost her husband, and for a year, she did not go through that door. And it's okay. It's huh. really okay. Yeah. We do we do what we need to do to survive. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't mean to interrupt you before. No,
3: no, no. That's all right. I was just going to say that the thing that I found um, enormously helpful. You didn't ask this question exactly, but um, having children that I was conscious of and caring for, um, and also the fact that I was a teacher um, and and decided to go back to teaching three weeks after he died. Um, So it was an ability to, right, put it, the grief was always there, but I could set it aside Mm -hmm. and do what I needed to do and then I knew that it was there and I even I remember I mean I wrote about this and these this was a this was the real experience sobbing in the car then stopping when I got to school washing my face in the bathroom at the school and then moving on out to teach um but also just being present for our children um was um yeah was a whole other thing so
4: There was something else that that I was so uh, taken by in your writing, and it had to do with that inner world that you created to grieve. Uh So what you're describing is I had to be in the external world. I had to teach, and I had to take care of my kids and function in my household. Uh But the the depth of your inner world and how you got there and what that meant to you and how you describe it is absolutely profound, really.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
2: And I think I found, interesting because yeah. that's oh sorry Beth I'm just <laughs> was gonna mention that, you know talking about the inner world right that's the that's the one we have to live in all the time twenty four mm-hmm. seven right so finding mm-hmm. a way to make that pal palatable and livable is and in-
3: right. habitable Hab- habitable no that's <laughs> not right habitable habitable <laughs> you. is the way but yeah <laughs> yeah now yeah. I was yeah it was that was. I, I, I mentioned this also in the book, which is sort of like a metafiction moment where this friend of mine had said, you should be journaling. Um, it doesn't matter what you write, she said. Just write something. And so about a week after he died, I think is when I started writing. And I just wrote everything. And, it, and that was, it, I think that's what you're speaking about, Bobby. I mean, it, that was the beginning of it. It was creating a dialogue with myself. Um, also addre- Also speaking very much to Steve, um, and then developing an ability to listen, um, listen to myself, to my own needs, listen to what was going on around me. I had amazing dreams, which I wrote down and was able to thank God the gift of a computer is that you like, I had written, I don't know why I did this or dream. And then I wrote my dream on my document. And mm-hmm. then when I was writing the book, I just searched for dream. <laughs> for Ooh, dream and, that's I, great. <laughs> and, um, so that so, yeah, everything was there. But the other thing was poetry, the gift of poetry, which I, I've always been a passionate um, reader and um, I'm an English teacher with a I mean tremendous passion, especially for the 19th century poets, but um, the romantics especially, most especially. Um, and I found them providing um, a lifeline in a way that was extraordinary. I had, I had always had an intellectual or um, an aesthetic appreciation for what they had done. John mm-hmm. Keats was always a favorite of mine, or has been for a long time. But it was more; it was really, um, yeah, it was a lifeline, because it, because they, they're writing about things that they're they're addressing things in a way that ha- they, this doesn't have an answer, right? the the mm-hmm. the, the, horror, the horror of Steve's death. I'm not looking mm-hmm. to justify it, find the reason, or anything else. I just have mm-hmm. to live with it. It's not something that I can integrate necessarily in a way that it disappears for me. Um, okay. And that's what poetry poetry does for me. It also just allows you to be in that place of unknowing.
4: Yeah. It always reminds me, too, that throughout the centuries, throughout lifetime, our humanity, we have loss and we have trauma and we right. have this unbelievable struggle. I always love Rumi and I quote Rumi all the time to help people see me first. This is, we've all dealt with this. This is our common humanity. That's right. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When I'm in my worst kind of times. I always go to the, um, met and i go to the egyptian wing and realize that like grief and death and dying and ritual has been happening for thousands and thousands there's something about just to your point right. about attaching to like the history uh, mm-hmm. and the commonality in that that i think is really important i was just listening to an upcoming guest talking yesterday on her radio show about um suicide, death by suicide being lowered during the pandemic. And she hypothesized, I think, pretty accurately that it's because of the common shared grief that everyone was experiencing and the, the, like, less aloneness, right? Uh And so I think that in that, the message kind of is basically what we're talking about um, is finding something to attach to that's part of something greater. And, like, you know, the great poets of our time and Mm -hmm. times way before, I mean... I, I don't know if this is what you mean but I think this is what I'm getting from what you're saying about <laughs> attaching to poetry and I think we all might get this in different ways is just finding like a common a, a common bond in mm-hmm. you know in live in not just grieving but in living in the fact that like life and right. like all of the things that happen within a life are not singular and I think right. that's comforting is that at all Yeah on the same vein of what you're kind of saying
3: Yes, yeah yeah. and, and, yeah. and um, specifically and because I, I love to refer to, to Keats, um, his ode to a Nightingale. I referred mm-hmm. to this in the book, but the the lines um, though the dull brain perplexes and retards already with thee, um, those lines mm-hmm. um, from one of his stanzas became a mantra for me. Oh um, and I just this idea that I'm with Steve, I'm already with him and looking mm-hmm. for him outside. I'm not going to find him. And, mm-hmm. and in t- trying to intellectualize it is not going to bring me any closer. It's mm-hmm. really just as it really is. It's, a, I can, I feel it like it's a physical thing, but it's just sort of sitting back and being with what is. Mm hmm. And not trying so hard to grab because he's not there anymore. He's not outside of myself. He's not outside. Exactly. It, doesn't make, it doesn't make the grief go away because it's a profound grief, which I still... But,
4: yeah. But it answers something. It answers that question. How could somebody be here one moment and right. then be completely gone the next? It's not, it's not true. They're in us. Mm-hmm. so what what I was so taken by your work it's it's the concept of the presence and the absence and I would love for you to talk more about that because you, you described it in, in with such poetry and such beauty and sure. working, I work with 50 people a week who have had losses it's what I do for my work and mm-hmm. this is the thing that helps us because otherwise it's terrifying it's the thought, how could it be that they're they're gone and people right. struggle with this all the time but I think in going into your abyss into your depths as right. you described, you seem to have found many ways. Um, you even talked about, which I want to, I want to talk about later, which is um, how I know Steve is near. I loved that list that you made. I just
3: it was amazing. So really could you beautiful. tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, the, the presence and absence. Yeah, so that's not it's not an intellectual place that that brings me to that, but the but right. So he's physically, he's absent. He's not here. He's I, I'm not, I'm aware of that. But, um, but he's, he's very present in when I'm, oh gosh. Mm. <sighs> yeah. See, I, I was like, well, I wrote it.
4: It's you. <laughs> yeah.
3: But I, I'm just trying to think. So, so it's really, I, I don't know if I'm repeating what I said, but Um, it's, it's the, the presence is in, in, um, sometimes these, I would get these energetic, um, rushes. It's like, I felt electrified or filled with incredible joy. And I, and that, that made me think of Steve or, um, the, to me, the very funny, the funny ones were, I never liked, um, wheatgrass juice, for example. Um, it's really healthy for you, but I found it just absolutely something i could not drink and (laughs) after he died i loved it and as soon as Uh i drank it um one of our sons made me a a glass i said i'd love can i have that and i drank it and i felt steve i just felt steve Mm -hmm. or going out for a walk in the woods um, which is also something i was not i didn't do uh, even though we live in the beautiful <laughs> west, the mountain, the hills of Western Ness. but um, but I felt compelled to go out in nature. And when I was in nature, listening um, to the sounds and seeing the the sights and smelling everything, I felt Steve. So, yeah, it's it's. Um, and then, and then these lines of poetry, and it wasn't that that was his thing, but the lines of poetry were allowing me also to access um, him in some way. And also um, I think the, the, ba- the biggest thing for me, and I, I forget to say this sometimes um, when I speak about it, but it's so essential is the feeling of gratitude. Um, the mm-hmm. gratitude for having been with him for over 30 years um, and uh, doesn't take away the pain of losing him earlier than I would have wanted to. But the, the gratitude is a, it's a, a real thing. It's like a landscape mm-hmm. um, that I can walk on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also just letting whatever images come up, letting, them, letting me live with them so dreams became very important and i would and i wrote about this feeling of sort of looking forward to sleep because i felt myself um with him and i was having incredible visions um very much visions it's funny i kept thinking of william blake he did all these amazing um etchings and things and i was think seeing things that he had drawn and i thought this is wild but um mm. is that is that kind of what you were it is well. You
4: had a list of fifteen things. So, do, you, yeah. do you want me to read them? Should yeah, I read please. Them? Yes, okay. Yeah. I'd love to because I just was. I was so taken by this because I am so often talking with people about trying at some point to recognize what is instead of what isn't, and you had another right. way of putting that, but it was quite beautiful. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's you know when we're grieving, we often see the emptiness and, and keep focusing on the void, and you, what you are describing is this richness inside where you didn't feel the void, you know. Right. So should I read it? Earless? Yes, please. So yes. This how I know Steve is near. Number 1, a gentle pressure or sometimes a slight tingling inside my head on the right side. Number 2, I feel an energy surge. Sometimes I even have to move, dancing around. Number 3, I hear a song in my head, and then when I play the song, my whole body agrees. Sometimes I dance then too. Mm. Um, four, I hear a song and I close my eyes. Love is here to stay. They can't take that away from me. Come rain or come shine, I feel Steve. Mm-hmm. Five, a palpable visceral sense of joy comes over me. Total ecstasy. The same joy I felt at the funeral. I understand that. Six, I see a red tail talk, which you speak up a lot. Mm-hmm. Seven, I see a crow. I see butterflies, usually monarchs. 9. I feel compelled to look up at the sky. Look up, bud. That's what I hear. Look up and out. 10. I feel a wave of despair, and right then a friend calls. 11. I see colors that move and morph and dance, whether my eyes are opened or closed. Gold and green, sometimes rose red. 12. I discover a sudden, unexpected, like for fresh green juices when I drink. I feel a burst of Steve. Thirteen, I sprout peas and alfalfa, radish, broccoli for the first time, and I hear, yay, bud. I guess that's what he called you?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: Fourteen, I feel beautiful. Fifteen, during Savasana. I'm sorry, I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, I experienced what I imagined Steve felt when he left his body, a floating sensation, a weightlessness, a freedom. And I imagine you could have 15 more and 15 more after that, but... That's- <laughs> Yeah, what really. what's so important to help people that's why I feel your book I'm going to recommend it to so many of the people that I well, work thank with you. I'm actually uh, starting a group this week of young women that lost their husbands suddenly and have children and so I plan to read sections of the book and suggest that they read it I feel that your, your words can really help a lot of people that are uh, floundering a little bit because they feel that they're not doing it the right way but what mm-hmm. you're really saying is you just go inside.
2: Right. And that's, right. that's what guided you. Right. One thing that struck me, Beth, about both the, the short film and your book was that, and I would love for you to expand on this more yourself, but I noticed, especially when I was watching the short film of like, uh, well, you, you mentioned in your book about the gifts that you got once Steve passed and the kind of, you know, the joys Mm -hmm. and the pleasures and the new awakenings and the new you. And you saw that in the film as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think. (laughs)
3: In a a different way. (laughs) In a different way, for
2: sure. (laughs) But like the same kind of themes. And Mm -hmm. I think like we're trained to think if we have an experience lost that, if you lose somebody that you love, you're going to be sad forever in this and only sad. Right. And if you lose someone and you didn't have a good relationship, then you'll feel relieved and you get to start anew. And there's this binary <laughs> about how that's supposed to look. And mm-hmm. it's not true. Right. And there's so many different ways to, um, to move on and 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 live in the face of uh, an, an incredible and seemingly insurmountable loss, and I think it's important. And I think you've done a great job in both the book and with the short film in kind of um, really exploring the nuances and the different ways that grief can take shape, but also joy can take shape, and that does isn't a reflection. Of what your relationship was with the person before. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Feeling joy after someone's passing doesn't mean that you didn't have a good relationship and now you're happy to be away from them. Quite the right. opposite, often. Can you
3: talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's really I quite important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so it's funny because I'm just remembering um, a conversation that I had with a, a friend months after the funeral, and she said, I thought you. She said, I thought you were crazy because she said, I thought you were like, I thought you lost it. She said, crazy because she saw me smiling like through and like this whole, she said, you seemed euphoric. Um, and I, knew, and I thought, oh my gosh, she's completely in shock. I mean, which I was, but the, yeah. but mm. the, um, but the funny or not the funny thing. I mean, the inter- the interesting thing was. I mean to me and also to anyone who knew Steve um, especially our children as well but all of our family and friends and people whose lives he touched was this was a man who was filled with joy
0: mm-hmm. I mean it doesn't mean that
3: you know he didn't have other <laughs> <most Yeah. laughs> aspects too but he was really sure. joyful and his his biggest desire was to make people happy and that's I mean It's an incredible thing to say about someone. That is what he wanted: was to make people laugh, to make people happy, and healthy, and joyful. And the immediate thing that happened for um, all of the for all our three children, (laughs) and and for me, was we independently made a decision, which we then found out when we talked with each other that we that the best thing we could do was to, to live in joy as a way of honoring Steve. And that decision helped us with our despair because it it's it's been real despair. Our kid uh, the children had an amazing father who they miss a lot, but this decision so they always would go back to joy, which is an amazing force. Um and so that's a choice, is an, an inner it's an inner choice. But um, I've I lost where I was going with this. I was going somewhere. Um, it was building on what Bobby was saying. Um, also, uh, no,
2: no, no worries um, at all. I mean, that's the oh, thing it about, was about the, the
3: funeral. Thoughts. Oh, the funeral. <laughs> yeah, it was about yeah. The funeral and the birds. So, um, mm. and the right. So, you had asked me earlier how the presence and absence thing, and so. I felt at the funeral, what happened at the funeral for me was, um, I felt very, very connected with Steve in an, in an extraordinary way, um, and, um, in a real, in a real way. And so I felt that we were, there was, um, we, I had uh, a friend of ours who was the piano player I, uh, um, at the funeral. He played... Cheek to cheek, which was um the mm. song that we had danced to at our wedding mm-hmm. and um he was it was it was I mean it's funny in retrospect. I said, Oh yeah, Rob, you have to play cheek to cheek and he says it's not really. <laughs> You know, at the funeral. He's like, I have to figure out how to do that. And I mean, I remember the the rabbis at my house at our house saying, you know, what is it what what is the liturgy that you want? Like what are the prayers that move Steve? And I I said, well, yeah, he always liked the services and things, but really, it's more like Irving Berlin and Gershwin and things and I really want Cheek to Cheek to be played. And so, my My friend Rob, he said, I mean, I I spoke with him years later. He's like, wow, that was, you know, having to play it in a way. But it's very cinematic. Right. It's wonderful. He played it was beautiful and I felt and I and I wrote this cuz I I was I'm pretty confident I wasn't singing because someone would have my mother probably would have mentioned <laughs> why were you singing but um <laughs> but I felt like I was singing um when the song was playing and then I was absolutely transported um to a very very beautiful place Mm-hmm. A happy place mm-hmm. um and then at the at the cemetery, the grave site, there was this um experience of um, unbelievable transcendence, a gift where um after after the the burial, the rabbis had um, the mourner's um, line make a line two um lines, and it created a path. There were hundreds of people at this funeral. Um, I mean, they were like... in I know this only because it was the high holidays. And so mm-hmm. we had set the temple up for extra seating. And so it mm-hmm. was an overflow. So I, that's how come I know. It's not like I was yes. counting. But there were a lot, <laughs> a lot of people there. And then even at the gravesite, there were hundreds of people. So it was a very long pathway. Mm-hmm. And we all had to walk... We walked through this pathway and... Um, It was overwhelming initially when I saw all of these people and everyone's feeling such pain and also incredible compassion and love for all of us and sorrow and all of that. Um, And then as soon as I stepped into this pathway, it was it was really quite um, I mean, surreal is the only word. But it was it was this I felt the energy from the love that was coming from the mourners um, as something that was visceral. Um, And then when we were halfway through, Steve was a pilot, a pilot of small planes, and his friends from the airport did a flyover. Um, And so someone said, oh, the planes, the planes. (laughs) I just was thinking of that TV show suddenly. (laughs) The plane, the plane. No, sorry. I can't (laughs) even think what it was. But anyway, um, we looked up, and and then there was a red-tailed hawk that appeared suddenly and it was flying with the planes (laughs) in formation, which is, I said, it's not very, it's not a Hawk like thing. Hawks don't usually fly in formation Mm. with planes. I mean, they fly, but, and Mm -hmm. everyone, everyone saw the Hawk and, and people Mm. who didn't believe in any sort of transcendent existence. Mm. We all saw it. It was amazing. And that this, um, and I felt myself again, lifted up. It was like a column, like, and I was with Steve and held by him, and um, again, it was this feeling of joy, which worried my friend when she saw me smiling. But um, but it was joy there because mm-hmm. these are things that are beyond um, these are beyond the intellect. That's why I love Keats so much, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not to sort of keep, but, but why not? I mean, he, this of young course, poet. Please. He was he was twenty four years old when he died, and he had had unbelievable death and his life his mother his father his brother tuberculosis um was the scourge of the time Mm -hmm. and then he knew he was dying and he had had no money and he wasn't recognized by more than just a few friends but he was able to experience the this this joy in a palpable way by somehow receiving it and letting it lift him yeah. Talking about
4: poetry, we actually read this on another show, but it fits. I happen to love Mary Oliver. Oh, yeah. I just find so much in Mary Oliver. So she, she says this. She says, we shake with joy. We shake with joy. We shake with grief. What a time they have, these two, housed as they are in the same body. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what you're saying, right?
2: Yeah, the precious- t- totally. <laughs> totally. The yeah. preciousness of joy, right? Like, I... Ooh realized that this week because I've happened to be in a period of feeling really joyful Mm -hmm. and I think you know after a year like this uh Mm -hmm. you maybe even realize it more but joy is so precious it's so like it's like gold you know Mm -hmm. it's and like some of us are lucky to have more Mm -hmm. of it and maybe we're more rich with it and and some aren't but like we all, and I shouldn't say we all, many of us get tastes of it throughout our lives. And I think as I personally get older and more conscious and have accrued more loss and more difficult times in my life, like that feeling, that like warm ray of joy, it's like when the, right. it feels like when it after the winter, the first time that you sit in the sun and it feels warm on your skin, like that yeah. to me is what joy is. And when you see that, like take off your coat and just, like, bask in that for as long as it shines, you know? And I think, like, especially yeah. when you've experienced loss, though, there can be mm-hmm. this, like, fear that, that's like, oh, my God, fear. but, but right. the sun's going to go down in an hour. And then, but, like, right. fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, right. it doesn't matter well, That's if where the being in the
4: moment helps us. That's where really bringing yourself back to the right. moment, not so much right. in the past, not in the future, knowing the difference and being in that moment. I always have this thing I call the string of pearls theory. And it's that we tend to think that all the pearls are going to be strung together. And that's life. And we're going to have this beautiful strung together. Mm. But it's mm-hmm. not. There's a pearl under the couch. And there's a pearl under the bush. <laughs> and there's a pearl. And we have to find them. And we string them together in a way in our belief system, in our philosophy of life. Um, right. Because like you say, Zara, they're, they're not always, but when they're there. But it brings me to something else you spoke about was the oyster, the metaphor of the oyster. huh. Yeah. And I thought that was wonderful because um, we know that it's the... What did you call it? The, um, the grief as an irritant. Yeah. Right? Mm. And that's what makes the pearl in the oyster, right? Is the right. irritant. Oh, it's so right. beautiful.
2: I love it so much.
4: And yeah. You are the queen of metaphors. I mean, I love metaphors. You are I a metaphorist. For two metaphors. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. I use them to help people. It's the only language. It's the language that I can speak because, again, it's universal. It's right. It's something that's throughout the ages. And I right. I was, I, fortunately, I was reading it online. I need a book. And I'll I, when I get your my book, pleasure. I'm going to okay. be just like woo, 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 because those metaphors help us understand life. It's just sure, because
3: mm-hmm. they, because what they do is they invite mm. the other into the experience without telling them what to feel. So without mm. giving it, it, that that's really what it is. It's it's just it that's that's why poetry is so extraordinary or literature literature can be so extraordinary because you're not Mm. prescribing what Mm. other people need to make of an experience you're just you're trying to give images that then they can wrestle with and come up with
4: yeah thank you that really helped me understand the importance of that
2: I just recently (laughs) finished reading the new Mike Nichols biography, Um, uh A Life. And it's interesting because they talk a lot about that's how he directed. And, you know, Mike Nichols, such a prolific director of both stage and screen and incredible uh, artist and orator. And uh, people would always say that he directed by metaphor instead of um, being like, hey, I want you to like, you know, be more angry here. He would tell a story right. or give a metaphor and allow the actors right. to find their way in interpreting what whatever that story or metaphor meant. And people would be like, oftentimes it would start off as you thought he was just telling you a story about <laughs> him and Jack Nicholson, you know, getting drunk. and uh, But really it ended up being like a really deep metaphor and you would find yourself somewhere in the story. And I think, you know, it's so important because as human beings, I think if someone's like, you have to watch this movie. You have to watch this movie. This movie's great. I mean, sometimes you'll be like, oh, okay, I got to watch the movie. But I think mm-hmm. coming to things on your own because you've seen flashes of it, like, oh, I saw a trailer right. for this movie and I discovered it and I want to watch it. You know, mm-hmm. there has to be as some teacher, kind of that autonomy must be, as in As a teacher, it.
4: that
3: must be the whole point of Exactly teaching, to
4: invite. As you exactly,
3: say. that's what, exactly yes. what I was just thinking mm-hmm. of. I mean, the worst. I think to me, the worst thing I could do is to reduce what I'm teaching to some sort of "this is what this means." Nice. Right. So when I teach Dante's Inferno, for which I do, which is like every that's September, cool. I seem to do that. Anyway, so <laughs> it's a weird thing, but I do that with the 11th grade. Um, it's a tradition <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, inviting know. them to have what does that mean? Right, And so Dante is writing on multiple levels. It's a very medieval kind of approach to literature anyway. It's like you're reading or experiencing things on multiple levels at the same time. It's literally, allegorically, um, a spiritual meaning and a metaphor. That Hmm. all of that is part of it. And that's the way medieval writers thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is a little wild. How do you think? But that's also, for me, that's what grief it requires right is like being present in these multiple levels at one time mm. which is
4: your your book does that really well because that's exactly what the book does it, it's not just a narrative oh, good. It's, it's multiple levels I, I read it quickly too you know mm-hmm. i had i work all week and i, right. I can't wait to take it and really oh. digest it in a different way did you, so did you like
3: you like my visit from Walt Whitman? I'm sorry. Yes, or amazing. Case. Yeah. I, I, I felt compl- <laughs> amazing. like people who are very literal said, wait, did you really? Wait.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but then again, that's your inner world. And I wanted right. to ask you about one other thing, which I think sure. is really important in grief, which has to do with the imaginal relationship with the mm-hmm. beloved. Uh-huh. And, um... Can you tell us more because you use I think you use those words or maybe it was my word to describe what you were saying but the, the talking to them t- talking to Steve
3: right you know feeling right. him
4: talk to you right do it with being in the woods and feeling that he's with you
3: right that's right yeah yeah no I. how
4: did I, that I, help you in your grief to have I'm that my, imaginal relationship?
3: I, I still have it I mean I, I, I still journal and I'm still I find myself at different times just talking to him in my journal. Um, so it just it brings him he it brings him close to me and then and then if I you, know, you, you can people can conclude as they wish but I'm if I'm being authentic to the experience I'm then able to hear him and mm-hmm. so for me that that is tremendous comfort and the thing that I've discovered is that if I don't and this was this was more true um in the in the first few years but it's still true if i don't take an hour in the morning before i go mm-hmm. off and start my day to journal and to mm-hmm. to sort of listen to myself but also in those days to really be with steve i would be off the whole day like if mm-hmm. i couldn't create that conversation with him so it yeah, became another advice. lifeline yeah, yeah. that's it,
4: actually advice in a way yeah. to help other people if they you know it yeah. reminds me again of a Rumi quote, which I, I love. This one, yeah. he said, "Now that you live here in my heart, everywhere is a mountaintop."
3: Mm. <sighs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I I love Rumi too. I I was yeah I was, I was big into poetry. <laughs> during this, I still am actually. Yeah. Good thing
2: to be big into. I do that with my dad too. I I continue the relationship with my dad, and I talk to him all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm a chef, yeah. so when I'm cooking things, particularly when I'm baking things, uh-huh. I'll talk to him a lot be like, "You would love this," or like, "What should I do here?" Oh. And mm-hmm. it it is helpful. And it is like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we have to find these ways to uh, keep keep people around. Yeah,
4: in grief work, they call it continuing bonds. And it's a wonderful word, you know, the way we do that, whether it's wearing a talisman, you know, something Mm -hmm. that you wear, my mother's necklace that I will always wear forever and never take Mm -hmm. off, you know, or whether it's, um, and part of what our show is about is that sometimes food becomes that way of continuing bonds. Right. So I wonder (laughs) in your family, is there any way that around surrounding food and sprouting, Uh um, obviously your son's continuing the business is, is one way of continuing bonds, but are there any things around food? that uh, bring you together and bring you closer to Steve?
3: Yes. Um, yeah, very, very strongly. So our, our youngest son um, is still living at home and is an amazing chef. Um, an amazing chef. Steve was an amazing chef. He And um, Noah is an amazing chef. And I have the gift. I'm not an amazing chef. I mean, I can do okay, mm-hmm. but... It's an art, and I'm not that kind of an artist, and um, for whatever reason, but Noah is. And so his food preparation um, is very much, um, it's very much brings Steve um, in a real way um, into our life. And I'm always having sprouts growing, and I never oh. sprouted. I mm-hmm. was not the sprouter. I oh. never, oh, wow. I have them growing in the kitchen, and I'm eating oh. them so and i feel mm. him very present in that way and i think um and then our son ari who runs the business with noah he's actively sprouting for the business and doing experiments so he's taken that on and our daughter is very much living in this um trying to live this raw food life that her father
0: um, mm. taught her
3: so Yeah, we, we're all, I mean, he's, he's, the food is a huge part. And when I say that, um, in the book, I think I use the terms that he fed me or, Mm. but I think Steve fed me in just so many ways. He was older than me, um, almost Mm. 11 years older and he taught me so much, and he um, and he also just created a space where I could step into who I am. And I think I, I'm constantly struck by the fact that I mean, I, this is where we started the conversation, but that I as a, a young girl wanted to be a writer and an actress neither of which I did Mm. um my entire life with Steve it was like this whole big this was our life together was Mm. living in the Berkshires and me being a teacher and raising three children and with him and all of that but it's but he died and then suddenly it's like I'm picking up again these fundamental parts of myself that I didn't know were still there
4: right Um, who am I now
3: yeah. That's well, that's exciting. why I became, I became, I just realized at the end, that as I was writing the book, I mean, my intention in writing the book was to honor Steve and to like give everybody a picture to somehow create something that would recognize who he was. And then that the surprise of the whole thing among, well, one of the surprises was that it had to be about me and I had to become the hero of my own life. Um, Which is what I'm where I'm at. I'm on that journey. I'm not. It's not over yet. But (laughs) that's where I'm working. Totally.
4: That was that was another thing that struck us about you know the hero's journey. Yeah. And the the metaphor of that.
2: Yeah. I wanted to actually read the real hero's journey, which I'm sure that you're aware of, as Uh it's you know the kind of the arc and the the structure Mm -hmm. for any script or most fiction. But for our listeners who might not know about the hero's journey, or it can be called a story circle. I just Uh want to read it to people because I think it's applicable to you and you you can tell us, but there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. versions of the hero's journey story circle, which you can look up online, but this Mm -hmm. is kind of the basic one, which is part one is a call to adventure and it begins as phase one, the ordinary world, the call to adventure, and then the refusal. Then in part two, it's the supreme ordeal or the initiation, and there's a mentor or Crossing the Threshold, Tests, Allies, and Enemies. Then you enter Phase 3, which is the Transformation. And you have the Approach, the Ordeal, uh, Death-slash-Rebirth, the Treasure, and then in port- Part 4, the Road Back-slash-The to the, uh, slash the Hero's Return. There's the Road Back, there's Atonement and Growth, and then finally, Reward. And <laughs> I just think that's interesting. When Bobby and I were talking earlier about the Hero's Journey, I was like, oh, it would be a good thing to read that. I think I might have read it before on the show, but I'm always... I'm actually writing a short film myself. And in that, oh, I started goodness. discovering the story circle. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. It's so applicable to right to life right. and people's struggles. But um, Beth, we are nearing the end of our talk, sadly, because we could sit here and talk to you all day. This has been absolutely incredible and so fun and lovely and... Uh, I feel like I've learned so much. Thank Highly you. spirited, yeah. yeah. Um, so at the end of each show, we ask everybody the same thing, and that is if you could have given yourself one piece, or if you could give yourself now at the beginning, your former self, at the beginning of this grief journey for you, um, one piece of advice knowing what you have, know now and what you've been through, do you have some advice for your former
3: self? Mm. <laughs> a hard question. Um, but I, I think, um, I don't know, I just keep thinking it, that it will be, o- that it's okay. Mm. And also, um, this is more than just one sentence, but yeah. I, it, you had mentioned earlier about um, relationships and when people lose people that they love, they might have regrets or have feelings of guilt about the imperfect nature of the relationship of which i've got plenty of mm. i mean this was not <laughs> sunshine and light for 30 yeah. years of but course. ultimately the love is what lasts maybe that's more the advice the love is a real force The love lasts and at the end of it, that's what matters. That's really all that matters Mm -hmm. because we do the best we can when we're alive and Mm -hmm. we do the best we can with what we have. So Mm -hmm. I guess that, that, I guess it's really that. It's more love. Love is the Mm -hmm. thing. Hang on to love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Beautiful. And
4: Bobby. We have one one other um, (laughs) part of our program. Which mm-hmm. is if we could have a meal together now, which I wish we could. It oh, would be breakfast because getting... it's early this morning. <laughs> yeah. But um, it would be nice to think what would we all bring to our feast together. Oh, so I have my idea, which is that um, it's a little early for this, but I would bring a grapefruit cocktail, fresh oh, grapefruit yeah. cocktail. Oh,
2: love that, <laughs> so, Bobby. You are already looking to start the party, but I love that for you and for okay. Good. Um, okay, I'll go. I uh, I love sprouts, and I love sprouting things, and I kind of learned about it uh, during my time at my former restaurant that I had. My sous chef and I kind of really got into sprouting different things, and we started sprouting wheat berries, which was really fun. I didn't even know you could do that. Oh, yeah. Um, and so yeah. I would bring a sprouted wheat berry salad with uh, kind of a delicious sesame, kind of maybe like sesame honey Dressing, a little apple cider vinegar, some pistachios, lots of fresh herbs, cucumber.
3: Not, wow. Roundup
2: cheddar cheese.
3: <laughs> okay. I'm rethinking now. Uh, so I so after a tongue about sprouts and healthy eating, I happen to love pasta. So I was mm. thinking, so separate from, Steve and I were Perfect. different in that way. But I think what I would bring um, to go along with what you have, I think, it doesn't exactly go, but I just suddenly felt like having some sort of delicious cheese and um bread platter mm. um some mm. amazing cheeses um brie go- goat cheeses um, there's mm. a lot of nice goat farms up here and Oh my um, god bring that and so, We
4: visit one of them we actually go to, what's the uh, goat Monterey, farm the Monterey, Monterey Ra-
3: goat Rosson? cheese farm yeah. Is it yeah. yeah. Rossen farm Yeah yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, oh, that's great yeah. So yeah. please bring some of that
2: include <laughs> yes. that in I'll your do that. <laughs> Yeah
3: that's yes. special oh. request <laughs> Yeah
2: Oh, that sounds great! And there's Ooh, a great cheese perfect. shop up there in Great Barrington too that we love, uh,
3: Rubiners. Oh my gosh, fabulous! Incredible, yeah, but we incredible. get the cheese from there, and then yes, I'll, we must. Get I'll, the I'll bring from it. There. Yeah.
2: Okay,
4: great. Okay, and sorry, you can bring the bread from Brooklyn.
2: Okay, I'll Ooh. bake some bread. I'll make some uh, sourdough focaccia, yeah. oh. and uh,
3: it'll be good. You 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 make bread.
2: Oh yeah. I make bread. I make Uh, focaccia. I've been making a lot of sourdough focaccia. So I just was uh recently doing a pop-up all winter, an Italian American pop-up called Zaza lasagna. So I have been in full on pasta, focaccia, like all the kind of like delicious things. That's why I'm like, I'll bring some of (laughs) those (laughs) sprouts. But I'll always eat pasta. Don't don't get me wrong. That's great.
3: Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much. It was a it was real pleasure. Fun. I, I yeah. really appreciate it.
4: You're um, such a warm human being. And, yeah. um, you've you seem to have integrated this unbelievable tragedy. It's, it's now a, it's just a part of you, and yeah. makes you even richer, right? Yeah, I guess.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really, really wonderful to talk to you. And just to um, to mention again, I just want you to let people know. Uh, I, I will mention a grief sublime is the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible book we can't recommend it enough Sproutland is the short film
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: which you can where can we find Sproutland how do we get that
3: so Sprat, it's Sproutlandfilm.com is the website the film website um, it's right now making the rounds of the film festivals so it's not widely available but you can watch it through the Florida Film Festival but my website um, which is my name Beth Robbins Writer .com um has all the info um and all, and the book but if you even if you put in the the book name it'll take you eventually to me or pretty quickly to me so great. yeah
2: I watched it yesterday and bought uh, like a pack of short films and there were some other great shorts in Right there, too, there are so. That's, like, a cool thing, too. I love short films. I think it's such an interesting kind of medium because you're Mm -hmm. asked to do what you would do in a feature, but in a shorter amount of time, which seems like, at first, like, oh, it's just a short film. But the challenge of making a compelling short film is really difficult. Yeah, Yeah, it's really difficult. And really, it's a cool a cool way to make films so mm-hmm. and yours was yeah. great and you're a great actress and i loved seeing you and i was like oh my god that is amazing so it was beautiful congratulations thank you that. i really loved thank it thank you very much yeah. beth thank you so much for this when we're up
4: in the berkshires can we look you up
3: oh please do i feel okay. like we have to see each other and i really want yes. this food that we've been talking about <laughs> okay great <We'll laughs> so have this is good well <laughs> <and Pickner>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you so much beth we'll talk to you soon okay okay
1: bye bye This episode is brought to you by Hot Dish Productions, an award-winning modern culinary production company specializing in creative digital video, photography, and podcast production. From concept through post-production, Hot Dish creates and produces compelling food stories that ignite the chef in all. Hot Dish Productions has deep connections to award-winning and celebrity chefs and over 20 years experience. Their team has won both a James Beard Award and an IACP award for their work in food media. Hot Dish Productions delivers the highest quality product at a fair value. Let them help tell your culinary story today. Explore their work and learn more at hotdishproductions.com.
2: Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.